Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. There was a famous church, fa- church father. His name was Churchillian. And he, he said uh, he was in the second century, but when he was thinking about the early church, like the church during Jesus' day, he said that the blood of the martyrs are the seed of the church. Now, a martyr just means that one who has given their life up for their faith in Christ. And I just want to take you back through the disciples and some of the apostles' lives. Because sometimes we think, oh, they're following Jesus. I mean, I'm sure everything was just great, handy-dandy, everything was awesome. It wasn't quite like that. In fact, um, the early church was fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, some for, for sport and some for their faith in Christ. They were crucified on Roman crosses. In AD 44, James the Apostle was beheaded by King Herod. In AD 54, the proconsul of Hierapolis had Philip tortured and crucified because his wife converted to Christianity as a result of his preaching. So basically he led um, this guy's wife to Christ and got killed for it. In AD 57, Peter was crucified upside down. His brother Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross two years later. 69 AD, James, the half-brother of Jesus, get this, was thrown off the temple and survived, only to be clubbed to death. And what, what, what tradition says is that, that as he was being clubbed to death, he was crying out to Jesus not to hold it against them. How many of you guys know uh, that's pretty powerful that he survived and still crying out to Jesus? But what's even more powerful is if you can convince your brother that you're God, you know something is for real there. Um, Bartholomew was skinned to death. Doubting Thomas was burned alive in India. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Thaddeus was crucified in Asia Minor. Simon the Zealot was crucified in Gal in 8074. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, the one who uh, sold Jesus out, was stoned to death. Uh, how, how many of you guys like that? Like, I took your place. Stoned to death. John dro- was dropped into boiling oil. The apostle John was dropped into boiling oil, survived miraculously, got scared of him. So they said, we're going to exile you to the island of Patmos. If we can't kill you, we're going to exile you. And it's on the island of Patmos where John uh, got the download from, from the Lord. And that's where we got the book of Revelation from. He died in exile. Stephen was stoned to death. The apostle Paul was beheaded. And so you just think like, yeah, happy Sunday to everybody. <laughs> Welcome to church. But, but I, I think there's something like, let me ask this question. Like, when do we start believing that God wants to send us to easy places to do easy things with the goal of a comfortable life? Now, now God is not like anti-comfortable. So I'm not here to be like, you should be uncomfortable for your life. No, I'm going to tell you what, these guys died fully comfortable in Christ, yeah. giving their lives, not because... Uh, of any other reason. I mean, they could have renounced Christ and saved their lives, but they didn't. They didn't do that. They were like, no, I have such a revelation. I have so much understanding of who he is. I can't deny, like, put me on a cross. Peter was like, listen, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Christ, so turn me upside down. Like, whoa, who does that? In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my Disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, it's interesting because 
This seems really radical. Like, if you're not a Christian, we're so grateful that you're here. So grateful you're tuning in online, kind of exploring church. And when you look at this statement, you might be like, whoa, that's a little intense, Jesus. But, but the sad part is, is this, is it's really not radical Christianity. This, it's real, normal Christianity. But I'm afraid that sometimes we've gotten so far away from normal Christianity that normal Christianity feels radical. And so, so he says, deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. I think sometimes we get really frustrated because we try to follow Jesus without denying ourselves and taking up our cross. It's like, man, how come it's going like this? Thank you so much, D. I appreciate it. And we're like, man, why, why is life going this way? We're like, I'm trying to follow you, Jesus, but I don't want to deny myself, and I don't want to take up my cross daily and follow him. Now, the, the people in Jesus' day would have clearly known what he was talking about because they saw people being crucified by Rome all the time. They knew that the cross meant it was a symbol of death. And, and so we look at the early church like, man, how did they live such a life and then die for Christ? See, I, I would propose that you and I, um, before we can die for Christ, we need to learn to first die to ourselves. And sometimes that, that, that's like the hardest part. Because once you realize that God is really the goal, that he is really all that you need, uh, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier when you're saying yes to him in the face of great opposition. You see, there's something special about denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is a catalyst to dependence on Christ. Denying ourselves is a catalyst to dependence on Christ. Now, that doesn't seem very like culturally friendly, right? We're like, no, everybody wants to go for themselves, but Jesus is like, no, no, there's a much better way that doesn't lead to frustration, but leads to fruitfulness. And see, if you kind of reverse this and deny Christ, well, that's a catalyst to dependence on self. And so, so the bottom line is this. Jesus said one way is going to lead to fruitfulness. One way is going to lead to frustration. Now, I think when we think about denying ourselves or denying oneself, we think about, all right, tell me, Pastor Matt, today, what do I have to give up? But what if it wasn't just simply about something you have to give up? Because a lot of times we think, okay, man, I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus because if I go in, I'm going to have to give up my life. I like some of my life. Can I just tell you, like, there's this misconception that God is like this God out in the cosmos wanting to make your life miserable. That is just not the God that we serve, and that is not the true and living God. God is for your joy. He said, listen, I, I want you to have an abundant life, not a mediocre one. So sometimes we just have a misconception of, of who God is. And a lot of times we're just like, okay, God, what do you want to take from me today? But what if God wants to implement? What if God wants to, you to start something today? Not just simply like take something out, but start something today. Because if you look at the lives of all these men and women in the first century church, even today across the globe, like you have women that are diehard in Iran right now, um, that they know that following Jesus is going to end up in rape and, and death and torture of their family. And they're like, bring it. Not in a cocky and an arrogant way, but in such a, a, a what do you call that? A, a confidence or a Godfidence, Right. That, God, I know that you got me. I know who you are. Come what may. Like, how do you get to a life like that? Where you're like, turn me upside down, crucify me. Like, how do you get there? Well, as we look at the early church, we, we see clearly that the early church was marked by prayer. I don't think that anything screams dependence on Christ more than living a life of prayer. Now, when I say prayer, a lot of times we have all these, you know, a lot of things come to, my, come to our minds. 
I think when we think about our prayer life where we, we necessarily don't think about dependence on Christ, we think about maybe communicating with God, and, and that's true, or maybe getting something from God, or like, hey, God, can you get me out of this one? Uh, anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? God, if you get me out, I'll never forget. I don't know if there's kids in here, so I'm going to make sure I'm careful, uh, but I had a long night, and I drank things I wasn't supposed to, and I'll never forget. For two hours, I was crying out to God, God, if you take this away, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. How many of you guys ever prayed that prayer that never followed through? Anybody? Yeah, then you're like, all right, well, God, thanks for getting me out. I'll talk to you later. i see you. Uh, but, but I think more than just communicating to God, it's first prioritizing God. Prayer prioritizes God. It puts God out in front of everything else. It puts God out in front of our time, out in front of our schedule, out in front of, you know, even sometimes uh, our sleep. And that's the tough part for us. We may not be facing death, but we're wrestling with our schedule. Anybody wrestle with your schedule? We're wrestling with the busyness of life. We're wrestling with all these different demands from us. And then also some of the luxuries and things, right? Like we like to sleep in a little bit. I'd rather not get up earlier. Uh, or I know I need to get up and pray, but, you know, they hit that snooze. It's, it just seems to be much more of a priority. And so I would, I would say that prayer, before we, it's communicating to God, it prioritizes God. It puts God out in front. And when God is out in front of things, life is just, um, it's not perfect, it's not easy, it doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble, but it's so worth it, it's so much better, and it's a lot easier with him. You're going to have trouble both ways in life, it's just a lot easier when you put God out in front. But a lot of times what happens is our excuses put ourselves out in front, God takes a backseat, and then we don't have a prayer life, even though we may know that prayer is important. Like we would say, yes, prayer is important, but we really don't have a prayer life. We put ourselves out in front, and we start to make excuses. Now, now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this, right, you can just like kick back for a minute and then I'm going to go in on the believers, on the Christians. So just kick back and watch them get punched in the face a couple times, okay? Um, enjoy yourself and it, it's going to be a great time. Uh, but but I, I think that one of the worst excuses is a good excuse because it alleviates us, right? We're like, man, I got a good reason. This is good. D.A. Carson did a study on what are the, like, the most common excuses that that, that we use when it comes to our prayer life as followers of Jesus. Now, can I just tell you, I, I'm a part of this, so I'm not like pointing the finger at you. I'm like, hey, I get the struggle. Prayer's not always easy. I'm like a type A personality. I want to go. I want to produce. I want to like go, 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 go. And so sometimes to stop and to pray and to, to be still with God can be, it can be a struggle. But I promise it's so worth it. But let's look at some of these excuses. The first one is number one is I'm too busy. Now, uh, there's, there's a story of, of a couple. They were driving down the road, true story, and they saw like a, a newer Cadillac pulled over on the side of the road with the hood up and the guy's just frustrated. And so they pull over, they're like, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? He's like, man, I, I, I knew I was low on fuel, but I left the house, got to get to this meeting. And, uh, and I just ran out of gas. They're like, hey, no problem. There's a gas station just a couple miles up the road. We got a gallon of gas in the back for you. We'll hook you up. So gave him a gallon of gas and and later, about, about 12 miles down the road, they see the same car, hood up, same guy, looking more frustrated. They're like, man, what happened? He's like, yeah, man, I thought I can make that 12, you know, 13, 15 miles on this, on this one gallon, but it didn't work. And they're like, why didn't you stop at the gas station? I was in a hurry. I was just. And so when we hear that, we're like, why would you do that? But so many of us, we live our life, right? To the, it's all about the next item. It's, it's all about the next thing on the agenda. Like we, we don't like to pause sometimes for fuel. And even though it seems reasonable in the moment, as we look at it from a grander perspective, we're like, yeah, it's probably, it's probably not a great excuse. What about this being spiritually dry? I'm just kind of too spiritually dry to pray. I just 
just don't really feel like it. It's like, since when did, did feelings start to dictate our response to God? Right? Like, you remember the passage in Romans, be faithful or be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. It doesn't say, hey, if you feel like it, it's like, no, no, no. Like, the Lord's like, hey, faithfulness in prayer, it's going to produce some great fruit. But, but so many times we're dictated by our feelings. And, and it's, it may be a little bit convicting for some member. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just relax. I'm going to punch a couple people in the face. We're going to have a great day today online. You're going to get punched in the face right now. But I'm, my name is Matt, and I am your friend. Um, so, so I think sometimes when we assign too much to our feelings and to our moods as the right to determine what we ought to do, then really what's happening is we're super self-centered at the moment, and we're really our own God. So it's like, it doesn't matter, God, what you say. See, Boom, right? Now, come on back. It's, God's going to, like, you're going to leave today like, did I get slapped or loved? I'm not sure. Great day. And so, so it, it means that I'm kind of my own God. So however I feel, it really doesn't matter, God, what you've called me to. I, I know I say you're the Lord of my life, but I just don't feel like it. Still kind of rooted in self. What about this one? I just, don't, I just don't feel the need. I feel no need to pray. Now, none of us would say, wake up, you know, or at least some of us may. We may not even care, but some of us would say, Many of us would not say, hey, I'm too, I'm too important to pray today. My self-confidence is out of 10. Scale of 1 to 10, I'm at a 10 today. I just feel great. I feel very independent, and I'm just not going to give you any time, God. Like A lot of times we can, we can speak to the importance of prayer, but then what we really think is this. We just think prayer is for the weaker people, right? The people that we like to judge, like the more needy, the more incompetent, the less productive. Like for me, I mean, you know... God will give me a little text. I'll give him a send him a text later on. But, but like we would never say that, but sometimes we live like that, right? What, what, what about this? I, I'm too bitter to pray. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I've been through? Like, come on, this isn't honest. This is an honest question. How can I be expected to pray when I've suffered so much? And then part of us knows that if I pray, God's going to want to deal with this in my life. And I really don't want to deal with it. Because he's going to want to eliminate this sin of bitterness. And I'd rather cherish it for a little bit longer, right? So we don't pray. But you see how the focus, all of these excuses are still focused on self. It's putting self out in front. What about this one? I'm just content with mediocrity. Like I identify with Christ. I just don't want to be inconvenienced by him. I love the Bible. Just don't want to get serious about studying it. I love, like, morals and values on the outside. I just don't want to engage in the war that's happening on the inside of me with corruption. Like, I want to sit back and, like, critique Pastor Matt's message, like, uh, yeah. And that's cool. I actually, to be honest with you, I appreciate it. So some of you guys are like, yeah, it was, that, was a, that was good sometimes. Because I appreciate the feedback. So I'm not, I'm not hating on this. This is actually D.A. Carson's, uh, this is his little statement. He said, yeah, a lot of times people, they'll, they'll sit back and critique. It could be a preacher. It could be, you know, another, another Christian, but not paying attention to the own quality of their prayer life. It just doesn't seem to be that much of a priority. I'm going to put myself out in front. Yeah. And Jesus is like, man, that life will lead to frustration. But, it, but if you can formulate a prayer life, I promise you, nothing screams dependence more than prayer. So if you want to know, well, how dependent am I on God? A great gauge is look at your prayer life. And if your prayer life is, is like hurting a little bit, yeah, there's probably a little more self-dependence than maybe we realize sometimes. Sometimes there's a lot of it. Sometimes we're, we're still trying to figure it out. So, so my, my goal today is not to 
really, it's not to punch you in the face and not to be like, hey, just try and pray harder. It's, it's hopefully I, I spark something on the inside of you, a different aspect of prayer that maybe you just don't think about a lot. Sometimes we, when we think about praying, we, we try to pray and we pray for like two minutes. Like, I don't even know what else to say. Like, God, that's all I got. And that's why prayer is communication with God, but it's so much more. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the purpose the purpose, oh, do you guys hit my slide back there? Let's go. You're messing with my stuff. Man. All right, there we go. The purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. Now, again, prayer is communication. It is communication to God, but it is so much more. I would propose this definition. This definition of prayer says this, that prayer is a response to our knowledge of God. Experiencing awe, meaning there's an encounter portion to prayer, experiencing God, and intimacy with God. And it's also for the glory of God. Like prayer isn't just all about us. It's also for his glory. Are you guys tracking with me on that? So like, like you remember Job in the Bible? Many of you guys looked at Some of you guys read the book. You know, you turn to the book of Job. You're like, oh, man, I need to get a job. It's a sign. I got to work, right? Um, <laughs> lame Christian humor. Sorry. But, but Job, Job came to a point in his life where, I mean, he was living good. Like they, they said that he was, he was a righteous man. But Satan approached the Lord, said, man, I, I want to, can I like test this boy a little bit? And so Job ends up losing everything. And, and we start to see something happen in Job's life. We start to see his prayer life kind of go from an infant stage to a more robust stage. We see that, that the, the more that, that he saw who God was, that the fuller and deeper his prayers became. Like, like he would move from just mere complaining to God. Anybody just complain to God? God can handle it. Just like, man, I don't know why you did this to me. Anybody? No, nobody's ever done that? Okay, you guys are way too good, right? Um, but, but, but sometimes, you know, or Job moved from a, a complaining to God to a confession. And then confession led to appeal for others. And then eventually led to an outburst of praise. And so as he grew in the knowledge of God, it deepened and, 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 and widened, and his prayers became so much fuller and richer. Because it's like, I, I know who you are. Remember, Job, at the end of his life, he's like, man, I thought I knew you, but now my eyes have seen. And it erupts in praise. And so, so prayer is this, this balance of praise, of confession, of giving thanks to God, of petition or requesting from God. But I want to focus on just this one part of it's, it's, it's a response to our knowledge of him. Because I think this is what we're longing for. Nobody wants to have a shallow prayer life. Like nobody just wants to be like, hey, God, so uh, thanks for this food. Appreciate my fam. Yeah. Thank, hey, I'm alive today. Breath in my lungs. That's, that's, that's a go-to, right? Breath in my lungs today. Thank you, God. And that's a, great, that's a great way to be thankful. But how many of you guys know we want depth in our relationships, don't we? Like, like we wouldn't settle for that in like any other relationship in our life. I, I remember when Jack and I first started uh, dating. And actually when I first met her, even before we started dating, we were working in youth ministry together. And, and she was so mysterious. Like I, was, I would ask her, so how was service? Good. <laughs> right? And so I didn't know her makeup. I didn't know that she was way more introverted. I didn't know that she was a little shy. So I'm like... I would tell Pastor James, like, does she, I don't, does she like me? Does she, I, I tried it. I see her cool with everybody else, but I try to talk to her, and it just, it just didn't go very far. And then we started building a relationship, and so all of a sudden it got a little bit 
you know, deeper, a little bit more fuller. And then we would start talking on the phone and it was like, what do you like to do? What are you, what are you passionate about? Anybody remember those <laughs> conversations like the, the infant stage, stages of relationship? But now we, we've been married, we'll be married 17 years this year, right? Hey, I told last service, every time I say that and people clap, I feel like a comedian, like, hey, thanks a lot. Have a great night. See you later. <laughs> right? Um, but but in, in all reality, our, our conversations now are super deep and rich. We even argue at a deeper level. Do you know what I'm saying? Like our arguments go way beneath the surface. And so there's, some, there's something about having a grander knowledge of God that changes our response and our conversation with God. There, there's a man by the name of John Owen, and he talks about one of the best ways to get sin out is partnering the word of God in prayer. So a lot of times we don't think about this, right? We don't think about how much value the word of God plays in our time of prayer and communicating with God. And so in the early church, we see in the book of Acts chapter 2, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Like, like there, there was this beautiful harmony. And John Owen says this. He said, when, when we think about getting sin out of our life and self, a lot of times the first thing that comes to mind is like, all right, Pastor Matt, I got to die to myself. Let me try really, really hard to die to myself. This is why I hate church, right? I'm frustrated. It doesn't work. I'm exhausted. So John Owens, he says this. He says, there are a, a wide range of doctrines to use on ourselves. When he says doctrine, he's, he's talking about just the core fundamentals of our faith. Scripture. He says, to weaken sin hold on us, he urges us to think of the intimacy that we now have with the Father and the Holy Spirit to think about the justice and the law of God, the costly sacrifice of Christ, the glory and transcendent majesty of God. When's the last time you just looked up in the sky and was like, wow, you're amazing? Like you just looked up in the stars and you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm living on planet Earth that weighs septillions of tons, spins on a perfect axis, and nothing holds it up except you say so. And I'm standing, even though we're spinning super fast, right? And you just, sometimes you just stop long enough. It's not that hard to capture an awe moment with God. I mean, I was looking at my wife the other day, just like, dude, you're beautiful. All right. <laughs> Points. Um, and so think about the Lord's patience towards us. He says, meditate. Listen, this is a key. He said, meditate on each of these biblical truths in such a way that we find fears, selfishness, pride, and willfulness within us starts to diminish as fungus and mildew die under the warm rays of the sun. So it was almost like, don't just like try really hard to die to yourself. It's like, can you just think about the glory and the majesty of God? And you think about all that he's done, the costly sacrifice of what he's done, and it changes everything. He goes on to say this. He says, now a man who was laying, oh, let me go back. Did I go back one? Did I miss one? Uh, there it is. No, there it is. He says this, never say I must stop this or I'm going to be punished, which nourishes self-centeredness of sin, even as you... Think you're repenting. Think about that for a moment. He says, rather say things like, how can I treat Jesus like this? Who died so I would never be punished. Like he died in our place so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God for all eternity. I think that's pretty awesome. Is this how I treat the one who has brought me in to this unconditional love state? Is this how I treat him after all he's done for me? Will I fail to forgive 
when he died to forgive me? Will I be anxious over the loss of money when he gave himself to be my security and true wealth? Will I nurse my pride when he emptied himself of his own glory to save me? So it's not like, like, a, like a spiritual guilt trip, but it's just trying to put things in perspective. Like they, there were some things, I was a bad kid, but there were some things I just wouldn't do, not because I couldn't, but because I didn't want to break my mom's heart that much. Right? It was like, I just, if I do this and it goes wrong, my mom is going to be, dev- like, it's, it'll destroy her. And so, so it's more like saying, hey, love responds to loveliness in light of God, your love for me. Man, I, I want to follow you. I want to lay down my life. For you. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, let me, let me backtrack real quick. So let, let me show you how this plays out. Peter now has a pretty good knowledge of God, walked with Jesus, had a rough road. You can look at Peter's life. It was a lot of ups and downs. But he says, now there was a man who was lame from birth. He was being carried uh, to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, Peter said to this guy, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And so the guy gets up and starts walking. How many of you guys know that's a pretty bold prayer? That's a pretty bold declaration. Where does that come from? It comes from a knowledge of God. Are you guys tracking with me on that? Like he knows him deeply, personally, intimately. Like there's a deep knowledge. So he's like, hey, bro, listen, I don't, I don't have what you, need, what you think you need, but what, I know what you really need. And in the name of Jesus, get up. And the guy gets up and, and everybody starts going crazy. It says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be sitting at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. You see the awe moment in this prayer moment at what God had, at, at what had happened to him. Why do you stare at us, Peter says, as if it's by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. Peter's like, it's not about me. Peter was so content with saying, I don't have a lot, but I have him. And he says, it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man who you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can see. And so, so I just, I want you to get this picture. Jesus, in Jesus' name, anybody ever pray in Jesus' name? It's kind of like, like the send. You know what I mean? Father, we just thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Send that bad boy, right? It's, it's like, the, it's like the, the magical touch at the end of a prayer. That's not what in Jesus' name means. In Jesus' name is shorthand for the divine person and his saving work. It points to this beautiful reality that we're coming to the Father not on our own merit, but a deep understanding that we are being heard by God because of the costly grace and sacrifice that we stand in, not because of our work, but because of Christ's work, that it's only because of his work and his grace that it's possible to be heard by God. That changes in Jesus' name a little bit. Would you guys agree with me on that? Like, you're never gonna pray in Jesus' name the same because it it caused you to be like, whoa, God, in light of your grace on my life, that changes everything. See, I think sometimes we rush through our prayers We'll say things like, we're like, Lord, I just thank you so much. You're awesome. Or, or we're struggling with anxiety, and then we pull up a passage on prayer, on, on you know, something that's going to help our anxiety, like Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. So we quote it super fast. We're like, read the passage, quoted it five times. Still got anxiety. 
But how often do we sit and chew on the passage? Meditate. David said, I meditate on God's word day and night. Like when's the last time you, you chewed on a passage like that and then thought about all the implications to it? Like just think about the grace of God. The grace of God on our life. That is a pretty powerful thing. Now, it's just one thing to say, yeah, so grateful for the grace of God. Let me tell you how, tell you how Kim Teller, Tim Keller describes it. He says, one of the ways that you can examine your life is by using the word of God and prayer. Like every single day. He said, he said, when you apply the word of God and meditate on it, man, it's so powerful as it begins to change us from the inside out. Look what he says. He says this. He says, um, when it comes to like being excited, anybody ever just felt like I'm just really not excited about my relationship with God anymore? I'm just not that pumped. Well, he says, man, when I'm, I'm struggling with zeal or I'm kind of examining where is my heart, is it on fire for Jesus, is it not? You guys remember when he first got saved, it was kind of like, I'm going to tell everybody. And then little by little, it's like, you're telling nobody now. <laughs> and so, so he says, I have a voice. He says this, when it comes to zeal, my passion for God, he says, this is the examination. He says, he asked himself the question, have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? Have I been anxious and worried? Have I failed to be circumspect? Have I been rash and impulsive? He says, then just consider the grace of God for a moment and look at the grace of God until there is no cowardly avoidance of hard things since Jesus faced evil for me, implication. And no anxious or rash behavior since Jesus' death proves that God cares and will watch over me. It takes pride to be anxious, and I recognize I am not wise enough to know how my life should go. I reflect on the free grace until I experience calm thoughtfulness and strategic boldness. I think one of the reasons why sometimes we struggle in our prayer life is because we, we're not spending a lot of time in God's word, so our knowledge of God is limited. So our response to that knowledge, we just, we're not praying boldly. We're not super excited. We're, we're, it, it just kind of lives in this shallow realm. But the, the greater knowledge of God that we get and we understand who he is and all that he's done and how that impacts our life, then, then like Tim here, we can sit here and look at the grace of God until it's like, and think about all the implications of that, just that one aspect of what Christ has done for us. And it can change the game. Are you with me on that? And so... I just want to, I want to leave that in, in, in your hands today. Don't rush through your time of prayer and bring the word of God into it. Hang out, meditate on a passage of scripture. Ask somebody, get a study Bible. And just look like, what is he even, what is he even saying? Like, what does this mean? And as you're struggling with these different areas, maybe grab a scripture and don't just read it. Just don't memorize it. Think and dwell on all the implications. What does this mean for you? What does this mean with life with God? What is this revealing about God? What is this revealing about you? And listen, when he says that it's a sin to be worried, some of us, we struggle with anxiety and it's, it's because there's like a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's not what, what he's talking about. He's talking about just the perpetual sense of I'm trying to be in control of my life when I can't control it. And so I can trust and rest in the beautiful work of Christ. The second thing is this, is, is the power of prayer. So the purpose of prayer, I wanted to give you another aspect Combine the word of God and prayer. Grow in your knowledge of God, and I promise what will happen, your prayer life will deepen, and it will become way more fuller. And then there's the power of prayer. Um, we can sleep on prayer, too. Anybody ever sleep on prayer? Like, literally. Like, you know, I'm going to pray at night, and you're like, ugh. Wake up in the morning, ugh. It, 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 can, it can be super tough. 
But you're in good company because there was a time where Jesus really needed his disciples to pray and they were sleeping. So much so, like think about this, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's filled with so much angst, the Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood because he knows the cross is ahead. It's that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he comes back and all his boys are asleep. And so he's like, man, could you not like hang, like watch with me for one hour? Like I'm about to enter into the most critical moment of my life. And so look what he says. He says, why are you sleeping? He asked him, get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Prayer is so powerful, man. It can keep you connected with God in such a way that when temptation comes, You'll have the discernment, the power, and the ability to withstand. Are you, are you tracking with me? That, that's, that's powerful. But I think what's more powerful is this. A lot of times we're like, man, why couldn't the disciples wake up to pray? I think it's the opposite. I think Jesus is saying you needed to pray so you'd be awake. Because you don't recognize this moment. You don't recognize what's happening here. So much so that Peter's like, I, I, I don't even know what Peter said in the moment, but we know what he did. When they came to arrest Jesus, look what Peter did. It says, and Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Now, I, would, I just speculate, but I wonder if Peter was going for the neck. Like, like, at what point, I know we read the Bible, and sometimes we have this, like, like okay, come here, buddy. That's not how it goes down. I, I wonder if Peter was, like, swinging for his head, and the guy's like, oh. <laughs> Took off his ear. So right away, what Jesus said, like Peter's already just falling into temptation. Can I say this? When prayer is cut off, so when, when our prayer life is cut off, so we will cut off other things. When our prayer life is cut off, we start taking off good stuff. Let me say it this way. When we don't deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow, we end up drawing, striking, and cutting. And a lot of times, it's in areas that we don't want to cut, like we end up cutting our convictions. We end up cutting our purity. We end up just cutting off our intimacy and relationship with God and give way to every other desire and everything that feels good to us. We begin to cut one another relationally. Can I just tell you, if you pray together or you pray for people, it will dramatically change your heart towards people. Like, like when you see a family that, that prays together, you, you're still going to probably cut each other. It's just not going to be as bad. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be like, yeah, do I really want to cut you? Because when God becomes the filter, it's hard. Like, sometimes I just want to hold a grudge against Jackie. Sometimes I just want to be like, you know what? I'm tired of it. No, not giving in this time. Not forgiving. No, nope. you're going to suffer on this one. <laughs> and then it's like the Holy Spirit is like, you know, I don't even hear your prayers when you're at odds with your wife because I know the scripture. That stinks. So then I'm like, okay, well, you know, remember your value at church that the gospel is the filter for everything you do? How you doing on that, Matt? And so by the time I, 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 I spent some time with the Lord, it's like, I can't help but just say, because God, you have forgiven me of so much. Not because I have to forgive my wife. It's no, God, you've forgiven me so much. It really puts things in perspective on how I treat my wife and other people. But I tell you what, if my prayer life is hurting, Man, the sword comes out, strike, cut, and my mouth, my words, that's what God is like, that's what I do. I communicate. Oh, I can be super harsh in my words, just cut. So the Lord's like, yeah, I want you to practice denying yourself, picking up your cross daily and following me so you don't live a life of drawing, striking, and cutting. And then Peter's like, 
what do I do? Jesus is like, are you sick? And then he comes up and cleans up his mess, right? Heals the guy like, sorry, bro. I tried to explain to him. He should have been praying. He wasn't praying. And, and so the guy's like, I've just been healed by Jesus, and I'm taking him captive. What's going on here? And so, so prayer changes it, it changes things. It's powerful. But this is the last thing I want to leave you with is this. It's prayer not only uh, like keeps us from stuff, but God wants to open up new revelation and doors and opportunity. Like on the other side of your obedience to prayer, there are open doors. You know, there, there's this moment where Peter, again, we're talking about Peter. He was at, uh, he was chilling, minding his own business. And in the meantime, there was a gentleman by the name of Cornelius, he was uh, known as an, uh, he was from the Italian regiment. He was a Gentile. Anybody non-Jewish in here? Raise your hand. All right, non-Jewish. So are you, we got a lot of Jewish people in here. You don't want to raise your hand? Participate? It's church. Um, okay. Well, a Gentile is somebody that's non-Jewish. Cornelius was a Gentile. Now, up until this point, salvation had only come to the Jews. And so, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And an angel appeared to him and said, Hey, Cornelius, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man by the name of Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So let me catch the story up. So Cornelius gets a vision from an, you know, an angel appears to him, gives him this message. He sends his servants to Peter. Now, Peter's just minding, minding his own business. He's trying to get a little tan. He's uh, getting ready to spend some time in prayer. It says, Peter went on the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill, eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure. So all of these things, as, as a Jewish person, you would not partake in certain dietary foods. And it was part of the law. And the Lord's like, Peter, I'm doing something new. I'm getting ready to bring salvation to the Gentiles, and I'm going to use you. And so what happens? So Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He responds to the servants, and it says, as Peter entered the house. For those of you guys who didn't want to raise your hand, just imagine with me. If you are not Jewish, you are Gentile, non-Jewish descent. And when Peter entered into this house, he preached a simple gospel. The Spirit of God fell on this household, and they were saved. And because of this obedience to prayer, you and I sit in our seats right now and are connected to God through one man's prayer and obedience. Now, could have God used some, somebody else or something? Yeah, absolutely. But he chose to use Peter in a moment of prayer to change the world. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this, is there, there, are, there are doors on the other side of your obedience that God wants to open to you, that God wants to use you. And a lot of other people, there are doors on the other side of your prayer life. I, I, I just wonder how many doors we pass by because God is wanting to reveal things to us, but we just... It's just so hard to slow down and take time to let him speak to us. But I think it was really cool. Cornelius was a person of prayer. Peter was a person of prayer. And look how God is just working. 
there's so many things that God wants to do in your life. We're living in a critical hour in our world. I don't think it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that. And can I just tell you, the sin of prayerlessness will probably cost you more than anything. Because it says, God, I don't need you. I got this. And I can say that to you because that's my story over and over and over. I am your pastor and I still have to wrestle with this sometimes. I don't have this. And I need you. You say, so Pastor Matt, what, do you, what, do, what am I supposed to do with this today? There's a guy by the name uh, in Mark Batterson, Circle Maker. There's a guy by the name of Gypsy Smith he talks about, tells a story. He lived about a little over 100 years ago. He was an evangelist. He would travel preaching the gospel. It says that he crossed the Atlantic like four times. I mean, to cross the Atlantic four times back and forth, preaching the gospel in that day, that's a pretty, dude was a boss. And so, so he, they, they called him Gypsy Smith, but his real name was Rodney. He grew up in, in a gypsy camp right outside of London. God got a hold of his heart. He began to preach to millions of people across the globe. He had no formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. He preached all the time, and there wasn't a person that did not come to Christ as a result of this man's preaching. He was uh, invited to come to the White House by two sitting presidents for counsel. That's an amazing story. So, so a delegation, they tracked him down, and they said, hey, 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 you have impacted and influenced the world so much. They said, how do we impact the world the way you have? He says, you really want to know? He says, go home. Lock yourself in your room. Scary. Lock yourself in your room. He says, grab a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the floor of your room. And then he said, I want you to step into that circle and get on your knees and cry out to God fervently and brokenly that he would send revival to this circle. That's where we start. Don't start by trying to have this huge resume. Start by just draw a circle. And the circle may not be in the middle of your room. That may not be, <laughs> come on parents, you may have to go in the bathroom and draw a circle. Get away from your kids. <laughs> I'm in the bathroom drawing a circle. But get in and start to practice crying out to God. Like God, I, you, you know what's so, so powerful about prayer is honesty. God, I don't even know what to say, but I know I want you. I want to know you. I want to have a hunger for your word. I hate reading my Bible, but I want to have a hunger for it. And so, so when's the last time you just got on your face and just cried out to God when it wasn't a crisis <laughs> and just said, God, would you send revival to my heart because I need you. So one your Bible, man, it's, you should jump in with us this year. You're going to grow in your knowledge of God. That's going to impact your prayer life. It's going to change how you pray because you're going to know who you're talking to. Three days of fasting and prayer starts tomorrow. Even if you're a brand new follower of Jesus, even if you're not following Jesus, you're like, I want to pray and fast. Jump in with us, dude. Jump in. You'll, we'll, we'll help you on the journey. You can go to our website, find out everything you need to know about fasting. But, but join us for the next three days as we cry out to God. That's what we're going to do. I know that I'm radically out of control with our world, with, I mean, everything. Everything in the world affects everything right now. 
so much out of my control, but I don't, I don't have to have that storm inside of me. Continue to be faithful to him and who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do. And you can do the same. So let me pray for you, Father, as we uh, wrap up our time together, I pray that, God, that you'd come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. We need you. We need revival. So easy to contend to bring revival here and there, but would you bring it to us, to our heart? God, would you change us from the inside out, God, that our desires would be your desires and that we'd follow you with all of our heart. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. That's the first step. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, this part is for you. You say, man, I need to surrender my life to Jesus or rededicate my life. If you're online, just let us know. Raise your hand in the little chat. Shoot us a little message. If you're like, man, I need to go all in. We'd love to pray with you. But if you're here in person, would you say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to give my life to Christ and go all in and to trust in him fully and let go of me. Is there anybody that would say that's me? Would you slip up your hand? Everybody's heads bowed, eye closed. I just want to see if there's anybody here today that would say that's me. Anybody? Yep, I see your hand. Thank you so much. So good. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Father, I thank you. It's for the one. You care about the one. So come on, can we, can we pray this with them this morning? Just say, Lord Jesus. I'm gonna, here, I'm gonna give you the words real quick, just like a pastor giving wedding vows to some, you know, to a person that they're, they're marrying. I'm gonna give you the words, but you make them your own. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe you not only died, but rose from the dead. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I'm turning from my sin my selfishness, my ways, and I'm turning to you. Help me. Fill me with your spirit. I confess you as my Lord. Give me a hunger for prayer, a desire for your word, and a passion for you that I can't quench. In Jesus' name, I surrender. Amen and amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand today? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.